Shot Tower, the real NBA fantasy NBA hybrid podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and me, Michael Kimball. We are here in suspension. We are nowhere. We are not in a week. We are uh, currently, uh, basketball-wise, living in the past. It is November 9th, 1994. The game is the Orlando Magic at the Charlotte Hornets. The final score, I can't even remember right now. I want to say it was 130 130 to to 128. 130 to 128 in overtime. Just a really heck of a fun game to watch. The reason it's up on the Hardwood Classics is Shaq went for 46 and 20. His full line was massive. I have it here somewhere. 46, 23 assists, one steal, three blocks, no turnovers. Um, had three fouls at the end of the second quarter, but then didn't pick up anymore. That's the reason it's up on Hardwood Classics, but there are a million fun things in this game. Horace Grant puts up a massive line. Nick Anderson makes an appearance, and there are some comments from the announcers, which will have some bearing on the finals later on. Uh, Muggsy Bogue shows up, uh, starting point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Alonzo Mourning is here, back from injury. Shaq has just put out his first uh, rap album, I believe. Um, The illegal defense rule exists. Tree Rollins shows up. Chief shows up. There's just so many fun things in this game. Here are the starting lineups for the Orlando Magic. It's Penny Hardaway, Nick Anderson, Donald Royal, who I barely remember, Horace Grant, Shaquille O'Neal. For the Charlotte Hornets, it's Muggsy Bogues, Hersey Hawkins, Scott Burrell, Larry Johnson, who I really only remember in a New York Knicks uniform, and Alonzo Mourning as the starting five. Um, It was weird to watch a game from 25-plus years ago. It looks different. It sounds different. It feels different. Everybody's playing inside the three-point line instead of outside the three-point line. What jumped out at you guys? I thought it may have been the largest discrepancy in point guard height in history between <laughs> Penny Hardaway and Muggsy Bogues. That was, that was the first thing that, you know, like, they open the game and on the first possession, they sort of zoom in on on that, you know, guarding matchup. And I was like, whoa, how well, is this going to play out? Yeah, and Penny posted him up repeatedly over and over and over again. Wasn't all that successful. Penny on the game is eight for 21. Um, not that effective. Seven assists, eight rebounds. Uh, it, it was pretty surprising to see how Muggsy Bogues could actually hold up there on the block. And Muggsy yeah. was maybe faster than anyone I've ever seen. Oh my God. Running up the <laughs> Yeah, he was flying. It was interesting. Um, Muggsy Bogues and uh, Michael Adams, they gave Penny and Brian Shaw a tough time bringing the ball up the floor. The Magic did not have a lot of ball handlers. Um, Horace Grant put the ball on the floor in transition one time and did not go well. Um, <laughs> they were they were running some like soft traps, some soft presses in the, in the second half on Brian Shaw and Hardaway to get them to give it up. Uh, so that, that was interesting to see. Like you said, the, the discrepancy in height and the way that played out and the way Bogues used his quickness to try and impact the ball on Hardaway and the way Hardaway countered by going in the post but that wasn't really distinctive since every play seemed to end up in the post, basically. <laughs> right. Speaking of the post, it was interesting to see Zoe, Lonzo Mourning, and Shaq 
playing against each other because my more recent memory of them and probably Jalen's more recent memory of them is being on the team together that won the championship in Miami in 2006, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. They they were together. Um, It was interesting because uh, I was sort of um, off kilter watching the game, seeing Alonzo Mourning taking all these mid-rangers. And I was like, that's not like the player (laughs) that I associate with him. He was almost playing like a a stretch mid-range for. It was interesting. It was great. I mean, that was that was what Horace Grant was here, right? Who had a very good game. Uh, Hardwood Classics doesn't call it out, but I think he was twenty-five and fifteen on the night. Uh, a really they great did when he fouled out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, but put up some really strong numbers in a way that nobody would anymore. Like nobody's going to take those 17, 18 foot foot shots that he was taking for half of his you know, uh, off of those pick and rolls, he was popping and, uh, shooting really well this game. Yeah. They were just leaving him open. And he, I think he hit, he was three for three or four for four in the first half. Um, he, he sort of cooled off a little bit, but you know, he had a couple nice drives to the basket and yeah, I was just, I was just, as you said, no one was behind the three point line, basically. Although I will say the Hornets, they were sort of the more modern team in this game um, in terms of their three point attempts. They were 11 for 22, uh, for three in the game. Um, and they apparently tied a franchise record at the time for most (laughs) made threes in a game. Um, now I think the Rockets made 27 threes in a game, so right. more than double that number. Um, right. They took yeah, the Steph number of threes Curry to himself. Yeah. 22 doesn't get you through a half in a game yeah. now for any yeah. team. I thought of that when, when Del Curry hit that, they said, and that ties a Hornets record of 11 yeah. threes in a game. And I was like, well, his son will break that record alone with 13. <laughs> and of course, Clay holds it now with 14 in a game. Yeah. But... Right. right. Yeah, well, no, it, it was just crazy. And, and I a... thought, and I thought, like, uh, I was watching the game and I couldn't help but being the, like, the young person sort of comparing eras. And I was like, Steph Curry would have been burned at the altar uh, if he was playing at the time <laughs> yeah. because he would have been pulling up from 40 feet. Like, anyone who says he wouldn't have been good, first of all, no one was playing defense in this game. There was nope. no defense being played in this game. They were they had just recently instituted the like uh, more stringent hand checking rules. You couldn't Del Curry put his hand just like lightly on someone's back and got called for a foul. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what people are talking about, how this would have been so much harder to defensive play against. That is not true. Um, they <laughs> basically threw the ball in the post and doubled immediately. So it was just like, yeah, we're going to do this sort of elaborate dance, get the ball in the post. We're going to yep. double immediately, and then that's the offense. Well, and that, the, so in the, you saw it in the nature of the three-pointers that were taken. The ones that are taken were all wide-open shots. So it was coming out of a double in the post or just some other broken play. They find the open guy, and that's the person taking the shot. Nobody's taking a contested three uh, like Steph is, except Steph's dad, Dell. We saw yeah. it a couple of times, but nobody else really had that sort of proficiency. Well, Hersey Hawkins point. was taking guarded threes, too. He was actually yeah, shooting yeah. True, true. this game. The, shot, the, one the of first his... one he shot was like a jab step three. That was nice. Right. He was actually four for four from three in the game, Hersey Hawkins. 
Yeah, so, I, just, uh, I just tweeted this from uh, our Shot Tower Twitter account that he should have taken more threes. He was, yeah. I think he shot like 39% from three for his career. Um, he definitely should have taken way more threes. Yeah, he was always known as a great three-point shooter and was an important part of some playoff teams um, uh, here and in the future, uh, you know, after this. Um, I always just remembered his name because it was so awesome. Hersey Hawkins. I don't know. I love the name. So uh, it was kind of great to see him back. We, we've covered a bunch of other people. I just want to throw some throw some history on a little bit. You know, Muggsy Bogues. If you haven't seen Muggsy Bogues play, just go back and watch this game. Just be, you, you know, we're highlighting it for Shaq, but just go back to watch Muggsy play. He is an absolute delight on the court to watch, whether he's picking up Penny full court, whether he's just breaking down the defense and never going to take a shot, but just to get the ball to somewhere else or into somebody else's hands. It was really incredible. And this is a guy, Muggsy, 5'3", 136 is what he was listed at. Five five feet, three inches, 136. And I have a special affection for him, not just because he played at such a high level from such a small stature, but he's also from Baltimore, Maryland, grew up on the east side. Um, I can't remember, when, was it a, a state championship or a city championship that he took Dunbar? To it would have been his... a state, I think. I mean, they were the best team in the country when he was there. Yeah. And, and people, I think, don't know how great Muggsy Bogues really was. He, um, I think when he retired, he was 20th all time in total assists. He's currently still 23rd um, at 6,726 over the course of his career. But it was really just so fun to watch. And we don't see, is there a player like that today? That small playing that well? I mean, as close as I can think, it's something like Kemba Walker, who's just taller. Like, it's not even the same thing. It's Lillard and and Walker and Kemba are the, you know, the two closest approximations. You know, one thing I was going to say about that is the the 30 for 30 uh, series film on um, Dunbar High, Baltimore Boys, is really great. And actually, they suggested that the... um, that team that Muggsy Bogues was on at Dunbar, the, the poets, uh, the, the Dunbar right. poet. Oh, because um, it was Reggie Williams and also another guy who went on to play NBA ball. Oh, right? it's, more, it's more than that. I mean, like Sam oh, really? Cassell was there, too. I don't think I think Cassell was there before Muggsy Bogues was. But it's um, yeah, the um, all I was going to say is there's a suggestion that it was the greatest high school basketball team in history. Wow. Wow. OK. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, and I'll I'll confess to being someone who never really knew how good Muggsy Bogues was. You know, you for someone my age, twenty seven. You know, I think of him in the dunk contest, winning the dunk contest, um, and sort of not really much else. You know, I'm just like assuming he's sort of like a Nate Robinson esque player right. of a different time, which is like as you're saying is not true that he was. He started, you know, he started, he played a lot of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he, they didn't take him off the floor at the end of the game when it got tight or anything like that. Right. Um, and we were talking about the Baltimore Boys documentary, and that made me think about Akil Carr, who was someone I saw uh, perousing YouTube uh, back in the day, like in college and high school. And he was a Baltimore, um, 
high school basketball player who was really good. He didn't end up making it to the NBA. Uh, there were like grade issues or whatever, but he was um, just like in the same way that Muggsy Bogues was um, and that team in general, just sort of like the city stopped to watch them play. He got the yeah. nickname um, the Crime Stopper because everyone you know, crime stopped when he played because everyone was in the gym watching him play. They had to, I think they had to move the game to larger uh, gyms just to accommodate all the people who wanted to watch. So there's a history, I guess, in Baltimore of young, uh, shorter <laughs> guards sort of dominating in that way. Yeah, and right. the other two, the other two big names are uh, Reggie Lewis and David Wingate. Both went on to the NBA too. Oh, Reggie Lewis, that's who I was trying to remember. Yeah. Right? Oh, and David Wingate, uh, North yep. Carolina. Then, or was he Duke? I think it was North Carolina. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Wow. Um, that was yeah. That must have been a heck of a team. Um, uh, you know, these the, like Muggsy. Um, one of the things this game has, and I'm sure there are a whole bunch of other Harvard Classics games where this guy shows up, but about halfway through the first first quarter, um, Chief shows up. Robert Parrish, and I was like. It's 94. Chief is still playing? And I couldn't, I, I, I didn't believe it. So I went into basketball reference, looked it up. Um, and, and, and Robert Parrish, most known for his run with the Celtics and all of those championships in the 80s, um, you know, was just this monster defensive player. I think he averaged a steal and two blocks uh, uh, over his career. And those numbers were much higher through those Celtics years. Um, just a really incredible player to watch. Um, but realized just because of this game, Robert Parrish played the most career games of any NBA player. Holds the record Whoa. still. 1,611, 51 more than Kareem. And like, the other guys, uh, Dirk was up there. I can't remember who else. Uh, I might even have it up still. Um, yeah, it goes Robert Parrish, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dirk Nowitzki, John Stockton at 1,504. So... Um, kind of incredible, the longevity. Robert Parrish is 41 during this game. And he goes on to play until he's 43. Um, and he looks good. <laughs> he looks good in this game. He plays, um, I'm, I'm looking at the stat sheet now. Where did it go? He plays 28 minutes, um, eight rebounds, nine points, four blocks. Like a pretty solid line for a 41-year-old backup center here. Yeah, he was solid. It was interesting. I feel like I really noticed his age. There was a fast break where he he caught the ball and uh, like he looked to see if the defender was really going to come over. And then he laid it up on the other side of the rim. And the two right. steps he took to, going into the laid up, I was like, wow, he looks like he's about to break. And then I looked it up <laughs> and I was like, because you said you said yeah. chief. You said Chief when we were like gonna do the pod, and I was like, I don't know who he's talking about because this is not it's not really my era. And then I was like, right. Oh, Robert Parrish. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, when he came out and when he came in in the first quarter, uh, he almost immediately gets the ball after he checks in. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I can't I can't remember who's defending him. Maybe it Shaq. Was Shaq. I think it was Shaq, Shaq was. It was head fake, head fake, baby hook. And I was yeah. like. Oh my God, how many baby hooks can these guys put up in this game? Because that was another thing that jumped out at me here. A lot fewer three pointers, a lot more hook shots. Yeah, Alonzo Mourning. <laughs> lots of hooks in this game. 
baby hooks, running hooks, every kind of little hook shot you could see was happening in this game. And that's mostly gone from today's game. You, you see a little of that with some of the old bigs, but not so much. Yeah, and I think um, I didn't know this when I suggested we uh, look at this game, but as you said in the lead-up to this podcast is that there are a lot of tentacles reaching forwards and backwards. You know, you yeah. have uh, Del Curry. You can see the similarities in his game uh, to Steph Curry, yeah. the way they move off the ball, uh, the way they shoot kind of with their feet, almost like one in front of the other yeah. or super close the together, right, not right really foot. set. Yeah, yeah, that right uh, foot forward and putting the three up in traffic. I can see, I saw it in a different way. You can see Del Curry using his body to create the arm space in a way. And and you see some of that similar form in Steph when he's putting those shots up in tight traffic. Yeah, you can see like the quick release, the way yeah. they sort of shoot more of like a set shot. There isn't that much jumping on it. Um, you can see the movement off the ball in the way that like he can turn a curl into a handoff and and get a shot that way. And, you know, besides the fact that I think that Curry would have been perfectly successful in this era, but like, then you have like someone like Nick Anderson, who I think in the, like the first quarter of the game was 12 for 12 from the free throw line on the season because it was the third game yeah. of the season and you just think to like what happens later that season when he misses right. four straight free throws and they lose the game to the Houston Rockets in the in the finals yeah. um, so and- just I, I just want to hit that because it's a fascinating story it was it was game one of the 1995 NBA finals Orlando Magic Houston Rockets key situation toward the end of that uh, toward the end of regulation, uh, Magic up three. Nick Anderson misses both. I think there's another missed shot, comes down. He's fouled again, misses two more free throws. Making one of those would have put them up four. I can't remember who it is comes down in that game. I think it's Kenny Smith, actually. I think Kenny Smith comes down, hits a three, ties it in regulation. The Rockets go on to win game one, and their magic are done. Like They were, they were just absolutely toasted after that, just destroyed you know, in a competitive sense, not just the game sense. Like They never showed up again. I yeah, mean, I mean, funny. Shaq left largely because of... Yeah. I mean, there's another great 30 for 30 about that called This Magic Moment, um, which is right. which is um, Shaq and Penny recounting more or less that season, recounting like the whole like rise of the magic in that era, but particularly centering on that season because, you know, the other significant event of the season, of course, is that, you know, just over a week before this game, Michael Jordan's jersey goes up in the rafters at the United Center because he had retired the season before and had gone into playing baseball. He's in, I think it's double A for the yep. uh, for the the White, White Sox this time. I remember my family took um, a road trip down to Florida that year, and I remember getting. Um, a newspaper the day we left and then the next morning because I had to see the box scores of how Michael Jordan was doing <laughs> in the, you know, in, in this, this um, minor league baseball stint. And because that's how it worked then. Insane. Yeah. And it was odd too, because I was a Pistons fan and I never liked him as a basketball player, but I was so rooting for him in baseball. And I mean, the main reason why I bring him up at this point though, is because, so he retires 
you know, a week, you know, in the year preceding this, his jersey goes up in the rafters a week before the game. And both of these teams' fates will be reconnected with Michael Jordan returning at the end of the season because yeah. he'll, he'll come back and lift the Bulls who were, I think, either slightly below 500 or right around 500 when he comes back, lift them into the playoffs and come in as the five seed and beat the fourth seeded Hornets who after this game that we just are talking about are 0 and 3 but will finish the season 50 and 32 and this is actually I looked at that team and I'm like what a great team you know Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning and Muggsy Bogues yeah. and um Hersey Hawkins and I was like man they they're just a really fun team to watch why didn't they end up better than this and yeah. the end was they hit the buzzsaw of Jordan returning and kind of like the magic in this year this was kind of the end of them I mean as yeah. you know I mean as you were just mentioning before Michael uh Larry Johnson ends up leaving um and he ends up on the yeah. Knicks and um and this sort of like great moment and the great drafting that that team had had that put this team together sort of peters out. Um, yeah. yeah. It all just it evaporates fast. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think watching them, it feels like they're like one star away. But I wish I like watching this game the first time I watched it, I was like, I think I would prefer to play for the Hornets, even though the Magic are were a great team and actually have an all-time they have a top 10 um offensive rating in league history this team which would surprise yeah. you based on the just the way the game sort of played out because no one else really did anything besides Shaq but I mean they did have Shaq who scored 46 points and had 20 rebounds so that goes a long way but uh like yeah the the Hornets they they're they got up and, up and down the floor they're running and gunning um Michael Adams actually did take a pull-up three-pointer uh at one yeah, point right uh, it was a surprise Bucks. though right yeah when he, yeah he, it I, was. I pulled up you're like wait they did that yeah I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how the coach is gonna feel about this um but yeah, I mean, Muggsy Bogues is pushing it. Uh, at one point, he pushes it and throws it to Del Curry for a three in transition. You know, they had more three point shooters. They they were kind of playing small at times. You know, uh, with Morning sort of guarding Shaq or um, Parrish, they were using their centers less as like a focus. They were actually posting up Larry Johnson's Johnson as much as anyone else. Um, so they were just sort of a fun team, and I like the way they play and. Uh, as far as the magic, like you said, the, this ended the magic. Um, Shaq left, and I basically only knew Shaq as a Laker, you know, as someone uh, of my age. So it was cool watching this game, seeing him. He just looks so young in the face, and he's got the yeah. like budding sideburns and the peach fuzz on his lip. Um, he looks young, you know, his mouth is hanging open the entire time. This is another thing. Everyone looked tired from the very first minute of the game. Like these, yeah. I don't think these people were in the best shape of their lives, you know, like every, Shaq included. Everyone was just exhausted the entire time. You, They would go in for a close up on Shaq, you, you know, uh, rebounding on a free, you know, waiting for a rebound on a free throw or something like that. And there's just sweat pouring. Off. Yeah. Like it's just the floor is drenched all yeah. around him. A very yeah. different thing than what we see now. And one of the reasons, I don't know if you guys looked at this, um, you know, this was uh, 40 to, 48 minutes of regulation, five minutes of overtime, 53 total. Do you know how many Shaq played? 47. 47 minutes. He played 47, 47 minutes. minutes. Penny it's played crazy. 41. Horace Grant played 40 before following out. 
you, you know, on the other side, uh, I think Larry Johnson was 44. He was the only other guy over 40. But just so many, like the backup center for the Hornets, Chief, 28 minutes. It's sort of crazy um, the, the the way the rotations work there. Like, you know, that wouldn't happen anymore either. Not even yeah. in a playoff game is in a you know, 47 out of 53 minutes. Yeah, which is maybe why they were all exhausted because they were playing so many minutes. But uh, if you look at, I looked this up, the um, top offensive ratings uh, in league history, and you yeah. can kind of track the history of the NBA through this one metric. Um, the it, Unconscionably, I don't know how, but the Dallas Mavericks are the number one ranked offense, and they're probably going to finish that way if there's no season. They're the number one ranked offense uh, in terms of offensive rating in league history at 116.7. So that just, you know, that tells you like the new superstar potentially in the NBA is Luka Doncic running spread pick and roll with a ton of shooters and a roll man. Um, Then you've got the 2018-2019 Golden State Warriors. You've got the 86-87 Lakers. That's Showtime and Magic. yeah. You've got the 2016-2017 Warriors. You know, that's the Steph Curry unanimous MVP season. Uh, you've got 91-92 Chicago Bulls. That's Jordan era. You've got 2018-2019 Houston, which is a team that pushed the Warriors with KD right. to the brink. You've got 87-88 Boston, uh, which is um, Bird and McHale. Um, you've got 09-010 Phoenix, uh, which is... Um, uh, you got Steve Nash and D'Antoni. You got 95-96 Bulls, which is um, uh, MJ returning. And you got the in the top 10, rounding out the top 10, you got 94-95 Orlando Magic with Shaq and Penny. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. just, it just goes to show you, like, you can track, you know, the history of the league just with that one stat. It's it's fascinating that the, the teams that do jump out from other decades versus, you, you know, the more recent teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, strengthens any argument you have about how good those, like, all-time players yeah. were and, yeah, and how definitely. good those teams were, you know. Yeah, I mean, the efficiency of Shaq in the, in this particular game, but also just in general, is kind of stunning when you watch it. Um, and um, this is taking it in a different direction, so hit us with more of the offensive rating stuff, but... Um, uh, one of the things that really struck me is it sounded different. The game we were watching sounded different than a game sounds today, whether it was Shaq dunking and pulling down on the rim and it snapping back, whether it was just the sound of the dribble on the hardwood court. You know, it had a different thump to it. Uh, Jalen, you were observing just the different, like it sounds like they ran differently <laughs> back in the yeah. 90s than they do now. Yeah, I don't know uh, if they had like a, a mic on the floor or something, but everyone seemed to be very heavy footed, um, which is, as Kyle said, it could be the shoes. It could be just, you know, the inflexibility that everyone has. Everyone was wearing high top sneakers, I think, with I think the common consensus was that it helped you prevent like ankle turning your ankle, which I don't actually think is true. Um, I don't think right. it helps any more than in the other shoe, but um, yeah, everyone's wearing high top shoes. They're kind of heavy looking. There's also a lot of Reebok shoes. This I think was around the height of Reebok as like a basketball sneaker. Um, right. And some of those shoes are, are nice um, for those of our listeners who are sneaker heads. Um, and I think, I think, so I want to go back to like the idea of like reaching back and reaching forward. And I got caught up on like Del Curry and Steph. So we got Del Curry, Steph, we got Nick Anderson, 
We got Nick Anderson and like the impending doom of the Magic season. You have <laughs> yep. Penny Hardaway, whose career is cut short due to injury. Um, you've got Larry Johnson, who's someone I don't really know well as a basketball fan, but who I think hurt his back the, the season prior to this. And I think is maybe like working back from that injury. Um, there's just so many. Th- you've got Horace Grant and, you know, his relation to like Chicago Bulls history. Uh, we got Muggsy Bogues. We got, oh, at the time, another thing was super interesting. They said Michael Adams was was like in the top three for threes attempted and made at that point in NBA history. And he's not wow. even, and like, which is crazy. And he didn't even shoot a great percentage. I think he was like 34% for his career. And he's not anywhere in like the top 25 now. But Del Curry is, and Dennis Scott is, who we didn't see, who didn't play in this game, but is on the Magic roster. So you oh, can just right. see like the... Uh, you can see the evolution of like the three-point shot in this game, um, and you can see also the evolution of we we talk about sprawl ball a fair amount in this game. You can see how like post play is more is works better because they you couldn't abuse the post player in in this game as we talked about with like the hand checking rules and right. just like there was a quick whistle it felt like in this game like there were a lot yeah. of fouls called really early but also post play was kind of hard because you could just immediately double cuz you could only double or guard your man you couldn't right. be in help defense at all so it was it was this weird thing where like they would throw the ball in and Shaq would just get doubled immediately and that was the offense um but then there was also a thing where Robert Parrish at one point in the game was trying to front Shaq and I was like this is the height (laughs) because you can't front Shaq with this illegal defense rule because for that to work the the help side defender has to be like waiting like one step in the away from the paint And he can't do that. So there's no chance this is going to work. Well, the the Shaquille O'Neal repeatedly throughout this game kept sealing uh, on when the Magic were on offense, kept sealing his defender. And he got 14 offensive rebounds because of it. At times, it looked like there were jump shots that were really just sort of, if this doesn't go in, Shaq has his guy sealed. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna yeah. get the rebound and put it back. I was like, gonna. That seemed to be a play. That's what I was gonna say about the a lot of the three pointers. A lot of the three pointers in this game. In fact, the commentators mentioned it at least once, where they said that that's a great shot because basically the shot was a pass to you know somebody clear <laughs> right. cleaning up the glass. And I found that really interesting. The other. I did want to mention one other point about three point shooting at this time because there's clearly like. One way that they think about three-point shooting is just what we heard there, where um, oh wait, sorry, three, Kyle. Or, and just to mention, the line was moved in prior to the season to 22 oh, feet all around. Yeah, right, you can actually right. see on the court the mm-hmm. phantom yeah. longer line out where they had j- changed it because they clearly are using the same you know park out to the break and, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, no, but the other thing that, that, so there's that part where, where it's like, it's a good shot because it can open up your inside game. And then one of the other things I noticed was how much, for instance, like Muggsy Bogues was like um, a DeMar DeRozan type player, except for whereas DeRozan uses the three point line to, you know, fake the defender and then step inside the line, Muggsy would actually just step right inside the line unguarded and then mm-hmm. take the, you know, the like almost 20 footer. And right. I found that like, it, we would just think of that as being such an inefficient shot right now. Yeah. But 
But he was, you know, he, he had clear He, he didn't do the math state. like that then. It yeah. wasn't the math yet. Like, it's crazy. It's so obvious, but it wasn't the math. Even, like, and he was a great shooter. He shot, like, his free throw percentage was very, very high. He would have been a classic, you, you, like, that could have been a great part of his game. Yeah, I was watching. I was thinking about that. Like, I wouldn't, like I said, Hersey Hawkins should have shot more threes. I think at one time the announcer actually says, you know, it's not a bad shot to drive in like he did, but he's a good three-point shooter. He should have just taken a three. And I felt the same way um, about Muggsy yeah. Bogues, who didn't shoot the three well, so maybe that's why he didn't do it. But right. he was so open. He was so unguarded because everyone was, like, playing, like, four feet away from him because they didn't want him to get by him. <laughs> All those right. shots were so open. Um, yeah. And Michael Adams, you know, took a few of them. But, yeah, you could just imagine that that really is the – you know, the turning point, the secret weapon for smaller guards. You have to make people, like, wary of pushing up on you with your speed yeah. to get to the basket. But then if they, if you shoot well enough from outside, they have to push up on you. So it opens up your entire game. Yeah. And without that, you they can just kind of wait for you in the paint and use their size. So, uh, yeah, you can just really see the evolution uh, of the game in that way. And you can also see in the way... I feel like this would be really instructive for people to watch who like hate the three point shot because you can see the way in which the teams are using the three point shot to to more effectively post up. So they basically the yeah. the Hornets ran this play where um, Del Curry was running a, a like a baseline screen curl coming up catching the ball and then entering the pass into Larry Johnson. And the reason they were doing that is because you're not gonna double off of Del Curry to go double Larry Johnson. You're not gonna leave Del Curry right. to go double Larry Johnson. So he could work by himself because that meant the help had to come from somewhere else, which meant there was gonna be a wide open pass or cut to the basket. So you can see them leveraging like Curry's shooting, Del Curry's yeah. shooting for the benefit of the offense as a whole. And like that's one way to think about the shot as almost like it almost doesn't even matter if it goes in because it creates space. Yeah. Like so much of the three is about space and people get so caught up in like just shooting the shot that's so far away and it looks ugly when it doesn't go in. But it, it's so much about space and actually right. – the scoring numbers, the points per game numbers went down uh, during this era when it, I think it was like a couple years when they moved in the three point line, which makes sense. And now I don't know if the advanced metrics will like say, say tell a different story, but that makes sense from the standpoint of the defense doesn't have to run as far to get to the three point right. line. So uh, there's yeah. less down to cover. So it's actually a bit easier to defend. I mean, it was kind of crazy to see uh, um, just because they weren't setting up outside the three-point line because they were initiating the offense from just outside the three-point line rather than considering that a shot at any point except for the one from Michael Adams. I mean, it just seemed so clogged up and so slow, sort of the actions that were happening. It was very simple offense, you know, a lot of pick and roll, uh, a lot of motion stuff off the baseline, and that was about it. I mean, it was really simple in terms of schematics. Go ahead, Kyle. I was wondering if if now would be a good time to double back to the question of of the sort of like overall you know media aesthetic of the game because I had a couple of uh, like a actually a lot of thoughts about it, as you might expect for someone who you know is very yeah. interested in in media history. Um, you know, the first thing that I thought of when when you were talking about um, the difference in the the sound then and now is that. You know, in in 1994, we have we're still we still have the RCA television standard, which is the at the time the lowest quality 
television standard in the world. Um, it's largely upheld by the RCA monopoly um, on those patents. And, you know, and so we actually went directly from this standard that was created in around, you know, around like 1940 directly to HD television. And I don't know exactly what the, the, uh, you know, like the, the, you know, it's all analog. So like the encoding standard doesn't really like fit it quite right. But like, but the standard, the quality standard for audio at the time would have been, but I'm sure that it was relatively low so that the, you know, so, be, so that it could be broadcast. Um, and so that it wouldn't use a ton of bandwidth. Right. Um, right. and so I think like a lot of what you're hearing is a transmission issue. Um, okay. and so you're getting a much, you're, you're getting a much thinner band of sound than what we yeah. do now from high to low. Secondly, I thought there could very well be, um, improved audio mixing, um, yeah. of, of yeah, the yeah. court, court side audio. Cause you know, you have these, you have people who go out there with, you know, you've seen them, they're, they're kind of like the, the big discs, you know, the sound, um, like, sure. um, you know, yeah, to capture the sound and probably the equipment's gotten better for one thing. And probably they've gotten better at editing it as we've moved to digital, um, because, you know, mixing it, um, because, we now have a lot more powerful um, mixing. Um, right. The the more important thing that I wanted to talk about though was like the visual layout. It's really striking when you watch the game how little um, graphic information you're getting. It's just <laughs> yeah. the game. You just see you see the game and only the game. And yeah. I noticed the the most striking thing to me was I saw the shot clock. For the first time, the like graphic version of the shot clock at the very end of the first half, when they happen to have a slight shot clock, game clock discrepancy, and they right. put both the shot clock and game clock at the same time, um, it ended up resulting in um, in a shot clock violation there um, with 1.8 seconds left. Um, and but, you know, I th so that was really interesting. You also hardly ever know what the score is. Yeah, um, the score is not even on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, you and sort like, of have to keep track yourself, or you just sort of know what things were. And it, 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 we definitely are conditioned by today's information presentation to look for that stuff, and it was not there. So while you know, while I'm watching, I'm going to the internet to find this stuff because the announcers are not giving it to us. They, you know, the production assistants that would normally be feeding that stuff, I don't know if they just don't exist at that point or what it is, but. Uh, it was pretty thin in those ways. Um, but, uh, and I, I find it interesting, too, because, Jalen, you made an observation uh, in our thread or when we were talking before about how the commentary is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know, Kyle, were you finished with your point? I don't know. I mean, I had one one other Go sort ahead. of Go ahead. big yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's short, but it's – so the biggest thing that I noticed, though, is that the shift to HD opened in widening the screen – seems to have opened up space in the minds of the producers to put those other graphics first of all like i think that, that like i think that shifting to hd allowed you to make it smaller within the frame and still have it legible right they have to be relatively okay. big now yep. and i think that yep. the idea was that if you have something that big you know shot clock game clock um score um graphic that you'd have to have them be pretty big for people to, to be able to adequately read them. So why not just basically like not put it yeah. in there at all? And and so one of the things I thought of, so I've always thought that HD benefited 
hockey and tennis the most because they have these really fast objects that are small the puck and and the tennis ball right but i'm starting to think after watching this game that hd was super important to the nba in ways that i hadn't considered it before partially because the nba is such an up and down but really what we mean is is lateral movement game um that expanding to the wide frame um opened up a a feel for the fast break like you just don't have in this game i remember feeling kind of disoriented um when they would really start to get up and down a couple of times like the 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 frame couldn't quite capture the whole of the movement because it yeah. couldn't go from like passer to receiver right. in without panning really quickly. And yeah. you know, just like really interesting things that like really change the viewing experience. No, that's fascinating stuff. I mean, you guys have heard me remark upon it before with people like Ja and people like uh, De'Aaron Fox who are just so fast today that even though we have that now, the cameras don't quite keep up with them. And I think that would have been a problem with Muggsy Bogues here in this game too, and maybe even Michael Adams. Uh, uh, so it, it is fascinating. Like you, We watched the game in a different way. We saw different things. It was an entirely different perspective than it is now. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like... Um... In some ways, I'm, like, nostalgic for this era uh, just after watching this game. And in some ways, I'm, like, really not, like... Um, uh, so we, we have Tree Rollins in this game. We have Robert Parrish, as we said, you know, a link to the uh, dynastic Celtics era. Tree Rollins is actually an assistant coach uh, on the team. What? He's a player coach. <laughs> I was like, there's still player coaches in 94? Like that's, that's crazy. Great. I love it. I love it. Um, I think the last like head coach player coach was in 67. Uh, but I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I mean, there's just so many things like that. The uniforms, like these pinstripe magic uniforms are the best. Um, I would love one of these jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all the Reebok shoes. I mean, everything just looks, it just looks so different and everyone <laughs> is so much younger. Um, even the Charlotte Hornets jerseys are really nice. I like those jerseys too. Like the the aesthetic well, is actually really nice besides the like insanely cramped floor that like yeah. no one has any space to operate on. Right. Um what what haircut well, did Joe Wolf have? Was that a mullet? Oh, man. Uh, that's, that's a mullet. mullet. That's a mullet. <laughs> that's what, how that's do we a, describe that's a classic Shaq? mullet example? Yeah. That was amazing when he showed up. And how do we describe Shaq's sideburns? These like only yeah. sideburns. He has no hair on his head no and no head. facial hair and just <laughs> these kind of like two patches on each side of sideburn. Like it's yeah, he, he had some little like peach fuzz on top of yeah. his lip. It was like he was trying to grow everything except for the top of his yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and and you can just see the youth in his face. He's like, as people always say with Jokic, he's like mouth breathing the entire time. And like, he's got a smirk on half the time too. Like he's laughing at some joke that only he knows. And I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing. You can see, you can see everything that like comes to fruition in later years. Um, Can we talk about the ads too? Can we, I mean, as long as we're on all these like cultural things, it was so 
great to see what was being advertised on the boards, you know, back there. They had Good and Plenty and Perry <laughs> Ellis. And but the, the thing that stuck out to me the most is they had um starter, like the starter jackets yeah. and champ sports. Not, not yeah. just starter jackets, it was the whole tracksuit on those guys. <laughs> the old boys, the guys with the, the brooms, the, you know, doing all of that side court work. They all had the teal and purple starter tracksuits from the Charlotte Hornets. The colors are glorious. They don't make well now they make them like that again because that the last year or so there's been a lot of nylon out there. But it was kind of wonderful to see those. those well, I was thinking about my personal tracksuits. experience buying a starter jacket probably that year at <laughs> Champ Sports. Nice. Um, I actually have a really really interesting. Though? What's that? It's no. I I have an interesting story about this. Um, uh, so uh, I was the, weirdly the the jacket that inspired me to want to go out and get my own starter jacket was that one of my friends who was a big Larry Johnson fan had gotten a Charlotte Hornets one, yeah. and um, but my favorite sport at this time was baseball, and my favorite team was the Atlanta Braves, and I wanted a Braves jacket, and. Um, my brother and I ended up getting, um, we ended up asking for uh, money for Christmas to go buy starter jackets. And, and um, I got my Braves one. My brother got um, a Mighty Ducks one. Um, and <laughs> nice. the, the, the story, the, the part that I wanted to tell, um, it, which is it, just like indelible, like still to this day, the memory, um, like that spring, um, I, I I think my brother and I had back-to-back doctor's appointments, maybe a physical or something like this. And so I had gone first to the doctors and I go in and I hang my jacket up and I go in to the doctor um, and I come out and my jacket is gone. Um, oh it had clearly been stolen. And um, my brother um, come, like my brother was supposed to be coming into the into his appointment but he wasn't there I'm like what the heck is going on here like this is weird like my, my, my jacket no, no, no but i but i was like i think i think my brother just took my jacket and everything and so i run down the stairs and i go outside and i still don't see you know i just kind of like looking around and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and then he shows up and he's like and he's like i saw the woman who stole your jacket I wrote down her license plate number wow. and wow. I call and I ran home to call the police. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and so he showed up late to his, to his, his doctor's appointment for that. You know, the, the long story short is that the police did go and they, they got the jacket back and they brought it back and the, they had crossed out my name and written their name in there. And I had to cross out their name and put my name back. <laughs> in there. Uh, but, you know, my brother at the time must have only been like in second or third grade. I don't know what it was. Wow. He was super young. Wow. It was like I've always thought of it as being like a very, yeah, um, huh. a very that's precocious crazy. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah. There was so little access to some things back then like that. Like buying a starter jacket was a staggering amount of money for a kid uh, your age at that time. Uh, and that sort of stuff happened with a different sort of frequency than it does now with it, with it available sort of more widely. So, 
Yeah, because yeah, those, those things were just pure gold back then. I mean, it was a kind of special treasure for any sort of sports fan. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah that's crazy. Um, there were a couple other things I wanted to mention. At one point in the game, um, Penny Hardaway made uh, – like a baseline spin move um, and tried to drop it off to Shaq and it went out of bounds or whatever. But watching that reminded me of Steve Smith who made that sort of move popular, the sort of fake back the towards the middle and then baseline spin. And I realized that the reason that that move was so popular and everyone was doing it was because there was no space on the floor. So they had to like tightrope the the baseline all the time. So that that that's something that was like, set in for me watching the game and then as far as like other cultural things two things that came to my mind is watching the game i felt like i understood why nba jam was super popular because you know this game where you're like um playing in midair you're basically waging war dunking on people in midair because there was so little space and everyone was in the paint that every time an offensive rebound came off the rim i saw so many mid-air put back layups dunks like half shots i was like this never happens anymore because everyone isn't in the middle of the paint and i was like this is like almost like nba jam or a game of papa shot almost yeah some of that was crazy that mid-air put back that penny had but also these guys are not boxing out like people box (laughs) out today they just worked in the way they weren't playing defense at times not closing out on those threes i mean so many things would just be purely unacceptable today you would not get minutes playing defense like almost everybody played defense single exception i'm going to give to robert parish i'm i'm interested in seeing whether the defense picked up by the end of the season i mean sometimes like early season games you know people are a little more lackadaisical you know and 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 also i was wondering you know you were mentioning before that some people seemed out of shape i wonder if that's in part that maybe they had like a small you know a short training camp or or you know like preseason, and they're kind of like still working themselves into shape I do think it was more popular to sort of work yourself into shape during the season back then. That, that, I think was, I think that was the standard more than uh, coming in ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple other things, the, um, this was, I think the first season where you actually got three free throw shots instead of two when you were fouled on a three. And I was just like, oh my gosh, James, can you imagine James Harden in this game? Oh my gosh, like all the ticky tack hand check fouls and the yeah. three point shooting fouls, he would just, they again, they would just burn him at the altar. They would just be like, well, what is what is happening? This, this is unacceptable. There was one of those toward the end of the game. Del Curry gets fouled on a three, gets mm-hmm. three free throws, and they cut to, is it Brian Hill is the Orlando coach? I can't remember now. I think it's Brian Hill was the Orlando Magic coach at the time. They cut to a close up of him, and he just looks sick. Like, he's never seen yeah. or heard of anything like this ever yeah. before. Just can't understand what's happening. That was, like, probably one of the first times that had ever happened in the NBA. And it's happening, yeah. like, in the clutch <laughs> of a close game uh, that they're trying to win. And then the last thing I wanted to say was just that I, there was at one point Curry, Del Curry was on the free throw line. And you can see, like, his uh, chest hair sticking out from underneath his jersey. <laughs> and I feel like, oh, this is a throwback, you know, where everyone had chest hair. And, and that was, like, the sexy look. And I was like, oh, okay. I kind of get it now. Yeah, that was a thing. That was a thing. I just I didn't realize till just now, but you don't see it anymore, do you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's sleeves, undershirts, and but it's also a different cut. 
I was yeah, just yeah, different I cut the accent. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Maybe yeah. to show it off. Maybe that was <laughs> that was the idea. I don't know. I mean, straight out of the seventies. That's what it would have been. You, you know, a little holdover from a couple decades previous, probably. But yeah, yeah. Oh, and on those clutch free throws, uh, Penny Hardaway says something to to Del Curry uh, as he's dribbling before he takes his last shot, and and Curry kind of like twists his mouth to the side to like respond and tilts his head and then knocks it knocks it down and then he like turns and looks at Penny Hardaway directly and says something else so you can see a bit of the like free throw line trash talk there nice nice yeah Steph probably learned from a master I imagine (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it helps when you have like amazing shooting form in your genes (laughs) right Right. Yeah, it's almost like it's so close to what we see from Steph and in a slightly different way from Seth. It's almost like that that arm motion looks genetic to me. Yeah. Okay. And last thing, I, I know we don't want to go on too much longer. I mentioned like some of the things the announcers had said before um, and a couple of things that stood out to me. Well, one, I want to ask yeah. you guys, um, just to integrate everyone like are you familiar with the phrase God bless the child who got his own and where it like originated? Nope. No, tell us. So I looked this up, the announcer said it and I was like, where, where, where do I know this phrase from? So it actually goes Whitney back Houston song. That's what I'm going with. It actually goes back to Billy holiday. Whitney Houston did oh, a, yeah. like, a, <laughs> song, and that's probably what you heard. Yeah. It goes back yeah. to a holiday song in 94 with arthur herzog jr and she says god bless the child who got his own i think the there's like two other lyrics uh at the beginning them that's got shall get them that's not shall lose so the bible said and still it is news uh mama may have papa may have but god bless the child that's got his own and so then uh, that phrase has basically just in the been in the music lexicon for forever it's in a j cole uses it in a song that he and drake has Jim Jones has a song titled God Bless the Child. Um, and so I was just like, I just sort of went down a rabbit hole of tracking that phrase. The announcer said it when Muggsy Bowes drove in transition and like he got caught up in the air and had no one to pass it to. So he threw it and then he came down and ran to go get it. And of course, he was called for like a travel or whatever. Because right. he got um, there too fast. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what they were saying. Like, you know, God bless a child who got his own, unless the referee is watching, and then you know <laughs> he's not taking right. care of you in this situation. So there was that, and then there was also this, the of course, the time where the two things where the announcer for Charlotte said that Penny Hardaway and Brian Shaw weren't effective point guards, which is like it. you know yeah. crazy. I was just like, what? What did he just say? You know, like because Penny they were like big here. Yeah, because they were big and they needed to like learn how to shoot and become shooting guards and i get what he's saying but like you know (laughs) i think this speaks to how rigid people were thinking about positions back then you know it's just like you're a point guard or a shooting guard instead of like a combo guard like penny was clearly a combo guard and i think he did benefit from having brian shaw in the game to handle the ball so he could get downhill more but like also if you average 20 and 7 does it really matter what we call you um, and right. then the other the other thing happened was when um, Alonzo Mourning went out of the game, Robert Parrish and Gaddison came in and they're like, oh, I think uh, Gaddison does a good job on Shaq. So um, they're pretty much interchangeable, um, Gaddison and Parrish on Shaq. Right. And Shaq, of course, proceeds to score 46 points in the game. Right, right. Yeah, there was, there was somebody else um, 
that came up. Gaddison, I vaguely remembered. Oh, Darren Hancock, Charlotte Hornets. Does it? He only plays. Oh, he only plays a minute. I'm just looking at the box score now. But the announcers are going. If you haven't seen this kid yet, you know, it's a, he's a rookie. He's just getting a bit. If you haven't seen this kid yet, it is something to watch. Oh Never no, heard it of was. Darren um, Hancock. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Hancock. Was yeah. it highlight Hancock or yeah, like yeah? That? They're yeah. like yeah, gets to the rim, jumps out of the gym, you know, just like all that stuff. And it's sort of like. What happened to Darren Hancock? Never heard of that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Kyle, did you have any other bits? No, but that does sound like what happens to a lot of rookies. <laughs> it really, really does. So I remember, I remember how thrilled I was about the Pistons getting Stanley Johnson, and how wrong I've felt since then. I still hold out a little mild hope for Stanley Johnson. I do. It won't be on the Pistons. For him. It won't be on the Pistons. It probably won't be on the Raptors, but hopefully he'll get another chance somewhere. Uh, yeah, so um, I guess our summary point is watching old basketball games that are played in a different way than basketball is played now, still really fun. Uh, <laughs> highly yeah, recommend we're gonna do this again. I love that game. We're going to pick out another one and do it again soon. So uh, everybody stay safe. And we are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. <laughs>